Okay, hello everybody, and um, want to thank everyone for joining us today for the BCHA Housing First podcast. Really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, so I'm joined by Becky and Amy, and today we're going to be talking about um, issues relating to LGBTQ and uh, gender identity. Um, I suppose what I wanted to do just by kind of way of starting it, um, perhaps Becky, I can come to you and just, I wanted to know a little bit about why you were keen to have a conversation with us on the, on the podcast today. Okay, yeah. So one of the reasons that I wanted to join into this conversation is that I think it's very important to raise awareness and obviously through sharing our experiences and coming through an experience when I had to go through so much stuff, especially in places here in UK and so many different offices. And sometimes I had some ups and downs because people sometimes are aware of things and sometimes they are not aware of things and they lead into kind of painful moments sometimes. And I think by sharing my experience would make things a little bit better when it comes in uh, the general perceptions of things. I suppose my interest in this subject, um, from being a part of the LGBTQ plus community uh, personally, um, I, I do have a personal interest. And I think organisations like BCHA, there's always things that can be improved on. And there's always things that we can address and, and start doing better. Um, the reason I wanted to do uh, this podcast and do something like this is um, Becky and I are both part of the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Forum for BCHA um, and we thought this was a perfect starting point to kind of start the conversation um, internally within the organisation um, and raise awareness because the more awareness that's raised the more comfortable people are, and confident people are going to be having conversations about LGBTQ issues. Excellent. Um, so I'm going to, I wanted to ask a question. Um, it's around about the kind of the importance of our use of pronouns. Um, and what, so what for you, uh, Becky, perhaps, if you could start, what, what's the importance of, of um, using pronouns? And for instance, why can't we just assume that somebody is, I don't know, the gender identity that they just appear to us to be? Yeah, so, well, I can talk about this one through my perspective and my own experience and pronounce to me, it's my identity. So if somebody tried to make an assumption of my identity and address me however they want, that's gonna make me feel lost. That's gonna make me feel denied. That's gonna make me feel like I don't exist. And that is really in the, total meaning of the words painful. And I can give you examples of little moments when this has happened to me. And one of those was not around December and I was going downtown and I went to a shop and one lady there, she called me sir. And at the moment I was just shocked and speechless and I started shaking and I just left the shop and when I went out, my, my legs weren't moving. That, that, that was the feeling that I got. And it, just horrible. And this can lead even further because there are people that they end up in self-harm just because they are not addressed 
and valued and seen as who they are. So I think it's denying somebody's identity. It's one of, of the worst things that you can do to people. And I think it's very important for people to understand that and respect people's identity and using the right pronouns and sometimes ask about it because it's nothing wrong with asking if you're not sure because you cannot know somebody's pronouns necessarily by the way how people look. And it's always to be kind to ask if you want to address them properly and make them feel appreciated, respected and valued for who they are. So can I ask, is there, do you feel, um, is there room for making mistakes with this kind of thing? So um, if, if, so if we don't, if, we, if we, we use a pronoun perhaps that isn't correct, is there, is there, is there such a thing as we can, we can make a mistake and then have a conversation about that afterwards? Yes, I, uh, thank you for this question. It is a room and it's always, if somebody does a mistake unintentionally, we can sense it, you know, we are humans and we do mistakes and that's okay and that's fine. And got moments when between friends, we have made mistakes and, but we know that this is not intentionally harmful. It's just a mi mistake that as a human we do make and that's okay. But when this thing is behind of that and when it's intentional, then that's the problem. And that's something that you can sense, you feel it if somebody is doing that intentionally and you feel it if that was a genuine mistake. So that's really interesting because I think, because for what I, what, you know, what you, I think you were just saying there was about that intent. So actually, I suppose making a mistake in the first instance is one thing, but then if somebody said, actually, I, I like to be known, however, however that might be, if we then insist on using um, the, you know, the, the, the word we used originally, that's where, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Amy, is there anything that you wanted to add to this kind of idea of the importance of, of um, pronouns? Um, I completely agree with everything that uh, Becky said. I think she hit the nail on the head pretty well with it, to be honest. Um, I think going back to what you said earlier about can we just assume just by looking at someone? And you I can understand why, you know, people do have that opinion. But if you think you really can't tell a lot of the time if you think about how gender expression has changed over the years um you know for for example you have women who dress like you know tomboyish those kinds of things it, but they still might identify as as female or or they might not it, it's uh, i think it is a read it is difficult to tell so i think it's important to ask and like you say asking isn't a problem I think people would much prefer you to ask so you get it right rather than mindlessly you know um misgender them or use incorrect pronouns because that can like Becky said that can do some harm so I think probably um and I speak for my own my own perspective this um a lot of the things that we probably would talk about and discuss today might be might be quite new for people and some of the some of the words and some of the language we use might be quite a new concept and I suppose we, we probably can all understand that maybe for some people that causes a sense of maybe uncertainty over doing things differently or things that changing we might not know, um, maybe not know everything that we feel we should. And, and, and so that kind of asking questions can, can sometimes be tricky. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, Becky, a little bit about what, what exactly um, is gender incongruence and gender dysphoria? And if you could maybe talk us a little bit about 
maybe the part that that's played in your story? Okay, so gender incongruent, it's a more specific term because in LGBT, the T is more of an umbrella term that includes lots of things into it, like non-binary people, transgender, transsexual, and gender incongruent from my own life experience. And what that means to me is, because our bodies to me are like containers, right? So putting it in this way, this container, without the consciousness, it's nothing. It's unfunctional, it's useless. It may have all the organs, may have everything, but they want me nothing without consciousness. So what I mean by that is that consciousness is what gives us the identity and makes us who we are. So if we take the consciousness out of the container, our bodies are nothing and mean nothing. And by that, what I mean is, because I always say to people, I'm born a woman. It just happened to be on the wrong container and I'm fixing it. I'm shaping it, my own form, to match who I am from inside and who I am in my consciousness. And I think this is the way that I, as far as I've been able to talk to people and the people that they asked me, they've been able to understand it more easier than sometimes when we go in terms transgender or all these other terms that sometimes unfortunately do lead in confusion. So, and that's why I think it's very important to understand that and it's very important to understand incongruent people that we are born with the right gender, right? We are just correcting our bodies. Because obviously when people hear the word transgender, the first thought they have in their mind is like, you are changing your gender, right? And obviously, like I said, I'm born with the correct gender. I'm just fixing the container, I'm fixing my body. And I think this is a pretty simple way of explaining it and making it more understandable for people out there as well. And gender dysphoria, and thank you for asking for that as well, because it's a very, very important point to be fair, is first of all, incongruent people, they do experience dysphoria in different ways. Everybody experiences it differently. And dysphoria, dysphoria is when my outside doesn't always reflect my inside, right? So what that means is this makes me feel down. This makes me feel upset. This makes me feel horrible. And I got moments when I don't even want to see myself when I have this moment of dysphoria. So in that term, what, what I mean is, imagine in a moment when I don't want to see myself, I cannot allow the other people to see me. So, for example, in to give it another understanding in the accommodations that we live in, for example, or if an incongruent person is living on a sharing house, because of the dysphoria, nothing can be even harder, and the dysphoria levels can increase in a very very high level that can lead into depression and sometimes even on the self-harm. Because for example, when I was sharing the house with people because of my dysphoria, and at the time I was using wigs, I couldn't shower if nobody wasn't around. I needed to wait until everybody goes to sleep. I needed to wait if anyone is on, on the house to be able to do a shower. Because obviously I didn't want to see myself like that, not even allow other people to see me like that. So th th this is everything that dysphoria causes. And this is a thing that obviously changes from people to people as well. Some people experience it differently and some people experience it more, some people experience it less. 
Amy, I'm I'm curious um, in terms of BCHA services. Um, perhaps given your role, you've maybe seen some of the impacts of issues such as gender incongruence and gender dysphoria, and and maybe the impact that has on our customer group, and and maybe how that plays out in some of our services. I personally, since I've been with BCHA, haven't had any experience. Um, like I haven't had any customers that I've worked with. Um, like Becky who have gone through these sorts of issues but I have heard stories um, from my personal life and through the media and groups that I'm in and things like that um, and there's no question that there, we, there is going to be BCHA customers like Becky who are going through these sorts of issues and, and, are, and are feeling these sorts of emotions and struggles whilst they're in especially shared accommodation like Becky said and I think that we as staff would be doing a disservice to our customers if we didn't you know take these sorts of things into consideration because our, from private conversations with Becky it, it seems like she didn't maybe have the support that she needed when when she was feeling this way in her shared accommodation and it it wasn't necessarily any malpractice of any kind from the support workers that were around her it was just lack of awareness and that is something that as staff, I think we we are able to solve or to some extent, you know, we're not all we're not all going to know absolutely everything. Well, none, you know, like I myself that there, there is there's things I don't know about. And I will admit that I didn't not really understand what gender incongruence was until I met Becky. But it's having people like Becky who are confident to come forward and share their stories and, and have these conversations that are going to make a real difference. There's and it's being able to hold our hands up as humans. We're not we don't know everything, but there is that opportunity to learn. And I think that's really, really powerful. And that's what I'd really like to, to see happen in BCHA amongst the staff. So I think that probably leads on quite nicely to begin to maybe discuss about how do we how do we move this conversation forward in BCHA what um, what do you both feel are some of the conversations that we need to start having maybe even some of the practical actions that we need to start to think about so Becky and I have actually already got a bit of a plan um, like I said we're part of the EDI forum um, and we are putting together some awareness raising content um, so blog posts, articles, social media posts from, from groups and blogs that we follow um, regarding the LGBT community. And we are going to be raising awareness about LGBTQ issues um, throughout the months June, July and August. So in line with Pride season, um, this will be internally through the company. So on Yammer and the Hub and hopefully also um, on BCHA social media, so Facebook and things like that as well for, for customers and for members of the public. So we're hoping that's going to be a good starting point, you know, to get the conversation going and to help BCHA staff realise it's okay to talk about these issues and start those conversations. Because like I say, some people, some some of us won't won't know or will be nervous to, to talk about these things. So we're kind of trying to break that barrier a little bit. Um, to make it a more more widely talked about widely talked about issue uh, amongst the staff and customers and hopefully that will enable us to support our customers better in the long run. Same question to you then Becky what what do you think we need to do to get the conversation moving in BCHA? 
Uh, well, yeah, Amy said it well, actually, because this is like a very good starting point. And then I think just by talking with the staff, talking with the support workers and all the people in general that they work in BCHA, and I think raising awareness and this podcast that we are doing, for example, it's a very good starting point as well. And I think it's a very, very important point to make, just put things out there and raise awareness and make people understand things and just know that it's okay to ask and it, it's okay to talk about these things. And it's okay to, to, to find a form, I think, when new people come in and people that they need the same help, then we just know what to do and we know how to accommodate them and how to help them. and how to be there for them, you know? That's great. I, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding this terribly exciting, to be honest. And I love um, just to kind of jump back a little bit to something mentioned earlier, Becky, about this idea of consciousness and, and, and a container. Um, I love this. Uh, I, and also it makes me, you know, it makes me think this whole conversation when, when I've had this conversation before. It, I'm always impressed by the confidence to speak about these issues. Because I think for maybe those of us who maybe have slotted into where society sort of expects us to go. Um, there isn't a whole lot of confidence to just to, to really explore these things and actually have open discussions about them. And I think I like I like the way of, that you've just put that in, into that into that frame of consciousness and container. And I think that there's so much really for, for all of us to learn. And Amy said about but actually we need to put up our hands as up, 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 put our hands up as humans. And I think so that's that's the key, isn't it? Actually, we all put our hands up as humans, the, the, the unifying feature for all of us. Um, that has to be a great way to start to have, to have positive conversations um, going forward. So look, this um, already has meant quite a lot to me having this conversation. Um, what tips would you give uh, any other BCHA staff so that they could start to feel a bit more confident in talking about these conversations? And I suppose these tips kind of probably go beyond the BCHA staff, don't they really? They're kind of, what I mean, we talked about having the having the confidence to sort of ask people their preferred pronouns perhaps what what other kind of practical stuff do you think there is that we can we can do uh yes well i think to everyone on the staff really exactly when they hear the, this conversation that we are doing and things that we are talking about and they will be more aware of the fact that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to ask about it. And I think one of the important things as well is not to keep this thing only in BCHA, but if outside out there we see these issues and we see somebody that is being discriminated, is being persecuted just because of who they are, and we are capable of doing something about it, not to stay silent, but to talk about it. You know, and I think this is, very important thing that we need to do in BCHA and out of the BCHA as well. Because I say always, because people say like, what can I do to be a good ally? And I always say to them, well, this knowledge that you got, you know, these discussions that we are having, what are you learning? Don't keep it on yourself, share it, put it out there. And like this, you can make a difference. So same, same question to you, Amy. Is there any tips that you would give? I think well, on the same line as Becky, really, um, having knowledge, knowledge is power, you know, and if you if you are aware of these things, you really should, you know, and, and you have confidence talking about these issues, you really should, you should be having those conversations, again, not within B, just within BCHA, but with friends, family members, you know, and other social groups that you're in, because that's how social change and awareness is going to come about. Um, 
in terms of within BCHA, I think, again, going back, confidence is key and just, you know, not being afraid to ask the questions. And with the work I do, I support LGBT clients um, who have been victims of domestic abuse. And it is sometimes difficult to ask these questions. So asking especially over the phone with with covid in not having someone in front of you to ask these personal questions you know saying hello you know what are your pronouns how would you like to be referred to it can be difficult to you know sometimes ask those questions but with practice it gets easier and it's more comfortable and it becomes more normal and what I've learned is that it's really really valued um from the person on the other end of the phone that you're supporting so I think being confident to ask the questions and feeling comfortable in, in, in the fact that you know you're, you're trying your best as a human you might make mistakes and that's okay as long as you correct them and that it does get a lot easier and you will build confidence in discussing these things with time because it, it, it does it becomes more more normal and that's the way it should be the other thing the other thing that kind of occurs to me is that we've spoken a lot about um asking other people their preferred pronoun and to, you know being confident to have the conversation with other people about their, their gender identity I suppose what are your feelings about um ourselves coming forward with that so as I'm thinking of things like we I've started to notice in some colleagues emails that, they, that they've added their preferred pronouns to emails and things like that forgive me if that seems a bit of a uh, a small thing to bring up but it's just something that is just cropped up about in terms of I suppose how we identify ourselves and is that and is that an important part for for, for all of us to play or, or, or not is it is it a tri is, is it a trivial thing I suppose I think it's a really good place to start from kind of research I've done through other organizations and things if you are engaging with a customer say for example over email and they see in your signature that you've put your pronouns there it shows them that you're aware of LGBTQ issues and it will make them more confident to come forward knowing that they could probably talk to you about those things. So I think, like you say, it does seem quite small. It's small on our part just to put a few extra letters into our email signature, but it makes a really big difference for the person, you know, receiving that email and seeing that thinking, oh, you know, I, I, can, I can talk to, to that person about the things that I'm experiencing and the issues I'm facing. And I, and I think they'll be able to help me or at least listen and understand me. So I think it is really important, a really important thing to do. Because Amy said it very well, and I can say it from my experience, for example, right, when I first came here and I was seeing people that they had, you know, the necklaces that you have the, the, the work thing, and some of them, they were with a rainbow. And I felt more comfortable going to these people and talking to than to someone that didn't have that. And this is the same thing with the pronouns. I think it's very important because it raised a different kind of awareness out there as well. It's, it does help LGBT people, but in the same time, it makes other people aware of that as well, which is very, very important. And I think that's a small thing, but that can make a big difference to be fair. I think that's really helpful. Thank you. About even just personally from my own perspective, I, you know, it, it is something we're seeing more and more of. And I actually, and I, I haven't had a, anybody really talk to me about it so clearly about actually what that simple thing can mean. And like you say, even think down to something as simple as a lanyard. I suppose it's just a little bit of a flag, isn't it? To wave to say, actually, yeah, uh, you know, perhaps be a friend. So um, I like to kind of ask everybody one kind of little, almost like a little bonus question at the end, which is, um, 
and I suppose it's a, it's a bit of a tricky question, really, isn't it? Because uh, let me let me just ask a question. You can decide whether it's tricky or not. What's the one thing uh, you wish you had known at the start of your journey? Now, I suppose the reason I asked, so I think that could be tricky, is when is the start of your journey? That's <laughs> a hard thing. But I suppose it's kind of actually if somebody else is maybe on a similar journey or taking their own journey, however that might be, is there something that you've learned? what that stands out to you that you wish you could you could tell someone someone else about yes well one of the most important things i think it's uh first of all to choose the people that you are surrounded with because that is very very important the people that you can trust and because the thing is unfortunately not everyone has the opportunity to be on the right place and i mean I'm a living example of that. I lived 25 years in a country like Albania when all I was thinking about was how to die and how to kill myself, literally. And obviously in a country like that, I never had the chance and the opportunity to share how I feel with literally no one. And the only thing that kept me going was the fact that I was writing and it was music and lyrics is my only form of sharing my feelings. And obviously then I had to use lots of metaphors and find ways of sharing my emotions without putting myself in danger, but in the same time being able to share what I was feeling from inside because I needed to, because I was nearly exploding in myself. And I think one of the things that, yeah, for people that they are at the beginning of their journey is to find a way to share their emotion, to share what they feel. And, hopefully if they are in a circle when they can share that with people that is great but if they aren't in a circle when they feel like they cannot trust no one to find a way to share that on their own forms by trying to do a form of art or I don't know by writing or by reading something because this is was was kept me going and this was the way that made me be strong and be where I am now literally and I think this is the way just finding a form of sharing what is inside us because it can if you don't share it it comes a moment that it becomes a bit unbearable and it can lead you to into unfortunately even suicide sometimes and it's important to yeah to, to know how to prevent that and I mean, here in UK, sometimes things are a little bit better because there are some services or some phone numbers you can call them all this stuff but out of UK this is not possible always and that's even harder and I think yeah because I say to my friends here as well because I try to explain to them that I know it's hard and I know it's difficult but believe me if you were somewhere else you couldn't even take the bus if you are ill you couldn't even go to the doctor to get medication and sometimes we need to know that at least we have that and here this is possible and there are very small things that, of course, when you put them in balance and always it comes because we forget the privileges that we live in sometimes as well. And I think it's important to be aware of that as well. And just luckily through the social media as well now, it's a little bit easier to find plenty of LGBT support groups that you can get help that you need as well. I think this is another very good way. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Becky. That's really helpful. And I think also, like you've just highlighted something to me, and I, I mean, I don't want to end on, on too much of a downer, but I mean, you're talking about um, having space and, and being able to have community around you that's supportive and, and the difficulties with that, But he, and, and talking about that from a, like a personal safety sort of side, but also 
you know, there's a real thing in there about safety here that's kind of underlined this conversation and actually the violence that actually can be perpetrated against people from an LGBTQ community, um, you know, is, 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 is really high and, and, and the, the attacks that people can suffer, you know, I think it's, it's important to note that as well, that we're talking about creating safe spaces more widely perhaps as well it's not just you know even your own well-being you know in person actually we're talking about people that you know have physical attacks perpetrated against them and, and vicious verbal attacks and then you know well I'm, I'm probably not even anywhere near like a good position to talk about that myself yes another thing i mean when i first moved in dorset i was in wimborne in wimborne it's a very small place a very small area when as far as I can tell from what I've seen, people there, they haven't been much out, they haven't seen much. So I feel, believe me, in danger and in threat. And I felt fear every moment that I had to go out of the house. Every moment that I went to go to the co-op to buy some food, people were staring at me like I was Somalian or some freak on the road. And this thing, it's so dangerous and so scary for people that they live in small areas. And we need to, to understand another thing. Of course, for example, things, if somebody has just started the journey, the, the risk and the danger, it's much higher than, because for example, now I've been like three years nearly in medical transitioning, which has helped a lot in when I go outside in the world, because I, I hate to use the word pass because it's not good. And, we don't need to have the need to use the word pass, but unfortunately, th this is the case. And now I, I pass more easily when I go on the street, which means that my life is easier than how it was three years ago. But for someone that their journey has just started, this thing can be very risky and can be very dangerous out there, and especially in small areas and small villages that people haven't got to experience or been surrounded by LGBT people and they don't know much. Unfortunately, that can lead in violence and in very dangerous moments. So I've sort of dominated the space in terms of asking you guys questions. Is there anything that I've not asked you about or anything that I review, either of you um, haven't had the opportunity to say that you really wanted the opportunity to say today? A learning experience. I suppose, and it's based on a conversation that Becky and I had yesterday. Um, Alex, you've said a couple of times the term preferred pronouns, and there's some people in the LGBT community who don't like that term and don't think that there should be preferred and that it should just be pronouns. And I thought this would be a good, it would be good to obviously talk about it, because like I say, this is a, this is a learning experience. Um, and Becky put it quite well yesterday, so I'm not sure, Becky, if you wanted to explain why preferred isn't the best way to describe it yeah thank you for that uh, well it's very important because obviously in the moment that we are saying to somebody what are your preferred pronouns we are automatically implying choice and obviously this is not a choice nobody is choosing a pronoun this is my pronouns you know and people because unfortunately this happened a lot especially on phone calls appointments people they do always what kind of pronouns do you prefer? And it's like giving something to choose for you out there, which is not like that in our life experiences. It's, this is our, our, 
our pronouns and this is who we are and this is how it should be. So normally you just ask to someone, what are your pronouns? And that's cool and that's great. But if you are saying to them, what are your preferred pronouns? You are making them choice and that is not okay. And I think it's, yeah, it, it's very important sometimes. There are very little things, but it's important to know because like I said, they can make us feel like they are putting out there, they are choosing. And obviously it's, it's, they make us even feel like we are choosing our identity and we are choosing to be who we are, which actually we aren't, we are who we are. We are not choosing who we are. And I think that's important to know as well. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's not something that's ever no one's ever said it to me. And I think that like I really appreciate that um, kind of honest feedback because how do we how do we learn? How do we change? And how do we progress if somebody doesn't have the confidence to say to you, you know, look, actually, I'd prefer that you did it this way, or, or have you thought about it in this in this circumstance? And um, you know, I, when I introduced us to this session, I said, you know, unfortunately, I fall into the role of like a presenter, and, and that gives me a certain amount of power, doesn't it? And then we have to recognise I've got power, and therefore I'm um, I'm creating something with this. And so it isn't easy to to challenge somebody, whatever form of power they're in. So I just I just really appreciate that, um, and it also makes me realise um, that there's something that I can do really easily now in terms of going back and even just editing um paperwork that we have as a service which which asks people what's your preferred pronoun because that's that's the way that i thought i was doing the right the right thing but hey um you know that's a really nice easy change to make which sounds like it would mean a lot to to a lot of people so fantastic yeah well i think another important thing that sometimes we need to keep in mind when it comes to lgbt people is the questions that we ask to them about their family or their parents because unfortunately a lot of us we lose relations with our parents we lose our parents and that can be a very painful thing to talk about and it's not a very easy thing to share because unfortunately our life experiences has made us go through these things in a very unfair way but in the same times it is how it is and even myself for example if i get asked about my parents and i get asked for family life believe me it's it's very hard for me to talk about it and especially trans people they have this this is more common in trans people when they transition they unfortunately 70 80 percent of the time they lose relations with their parents and that's not an easy thing to talk about and so i guess it's, it's just one thing I think important for people to keep in mind, to think before they ask a question like that, to know that that may be hurtful to people and it's not an easy subject to talk about it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really wise, Becky. I, and, and likewise, that's probably um, true of, of most people that we have into our services that we need to be conscious about the questions that we're asking them and asking them about their background. And I think the other thing that, you know, I, I think I've been doing this kind of work for about 13 years now, and I'm in increasingly conscious of just how much information we ask people for and just about how much we ask them to divulge about their background and their experience and very personal and intimate moments of their lives. And just, I suppose, just a bit of a greater consideration about the way that we're doing that and how we're recording that and who we're sharing that with. I mean, obviously, I know that we, these are things we're really conscious of, but those that's really it's really precious information about people and, and to be, just to be very careful with that and really conscious of how we ask those things. I think it's really, really important. Well, look, 
I um, have really, really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, really appreciate it. Um, I hope that, it, that if the opportunity arises, you both might like to return at some point in the future to talk about what you're up to. Um, so I'm aware that you've, you've talked about, you've got lots of stuff up, up and coming for the next few months. So you mentioned June, July and August, lots of awareness raising activities that you're going to be doing. Um, and just yeah, to remind everybody that, so that information is going to be available in places such as Yammer, the Hub, it's going to be going out externally on the BCHA Facebook page and other areas of social media. Is there anywhere else that people need to look to find out what you guys are up to? Um, I think the only other place really is um, the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Forum that BCHA are running. Um, I really hope that this, doing this podcast will kind of allow that conversation to open up a little bit more and just to staff and customers. The the forum is is running at the moment It's and it's going to be continuing and there's going to be a lot of exciting changes being made throughout the forum in lots of different areas of BCHA and but anyone can join, any staff, any customers. So if anyone's listening to this and wants to get involved in the conversation and be part of the change, then then they can get involved. They can, um, there's an EDI, BCHA email. So anyone can email email, email us on there and, and, and get involved because like I say, anyone can join and the more of us there are, the better. That's great. Look, thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you for, for joining us today. Really great.